Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. Things are about to get real in the college ball season, so there is no better time for you to jump in on the action of MyBookie than right now. It's a simple process. Just go to MyBookie.ag, use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit, or if you want a straight cash bonus with no strings attached, you can use the code 200CASH to get a 10% cash bonus. So make the choice that works best for you and bet now with MyBookie. Bookie. All right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and here is the deal today. I am sitting here right now in my hotel room in Knoxville, which is obviously not where I would normally be recording an episode and not where I would prefer to be recording an episode. But with this being Thanksgiving week, there's obviously a lot of traveling going on, seeing different members of my family. So I have to actually travel today. I'm heading from Knoxville to go do some early Thanksgiving stuff with part of my family. So I'm not going to be getting home, not going to be able to sit down and record this like I normally would. And Curtis is also not going to be with me today. I know that sucks. So we hate that. We try to make it work. But he also, no, he's newly married, right? So he is on his way to Florida right now as we speak. So we just couldn't get the times to mesh up. But don't worry. We will be back together. We were planning right now to have Curtis on for the mailbag episode that we're going to hopefully record on Monday night. So if there's anything that I don't cover today, we're going to cover that stuff on the mailbag episode. So send those questions in. You can hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can find us on Instagram, just glory UGA podcast there. You can also email us glory UGA podcast at gmail.com. And we'll get to as many of those questions as we possibly can. So not an ideal setup for a recap episode, but there is this over lining. This is about as much of an instant reaction episode as you get from us coming from after these games, because here we are, I guess, nine, 10 hours after the game went final. I have not had a chance to do a full rewatch yet. Just want to put that out there. I've gotten through essentially the first quarter. But again, that's what the mailbag episode is going to be for this week. Anything that we miss, anything that we catch on a rewatch or two, we'll definitely bring that up on the mailbag episode. So make sure to check that out later this week. But there are still a lot of things I want to talk about. And I definitely didn't want to leave you guys hanging after a big win like that. So let's go ahead and get to it. 30 38 to 10, we just went into Knoxville, one of the most hostile environments that you could play in. I would say arguably the most hostile environment that we had played in since maybe 
2018 LSU, maybe 2019 to Auburn, somewhere around there. It's been a minute, guys. It was a hostile, hostile environment, especially to open the game when they go 75 yards on the first play from scrimmage for a touchdown. But we go in there, and not only do we take care of business, we absolutely obliterate them. 38 to 10. Could have made it a lot worse if we wanted, if we were even trying to really score in the fourth quarter. And in the process, we ended their 14-game home winning streak. And oh, who was the last team to beat them in Knoxville? Oh, that's right, the Georgia Bulldogs back in 2021. And on our side of things, we have now tied the SEC mark with a 28-game winning streak. We have now put together three consecutive undefeated SEC seasons, and that has never been done in the history of of the Southeastern Conference. Not even all those Alabama teams, all those great teams they've been had, they never went back to back to back 8-0 SEC seasons. 44-1 in our last 45 games. I, I've known those numbers. You guys have known those numbers because it's been building over the course of the past season or two. But just looking at those numbers last night after that game and just kind of taking it in, it kind of hit me. 44-1? 44 and 1 in our last 45 games. That is that is out of this stratosphere. And I was talking to my wife after the game last night. It's just unbelievable to think of where we are as a program right now. And again, I know this is nothing new. I know we've won back-to-back -back national titles. I know this is well-trod ground. I understand that. But it just kind of all hit me last night because, you know, I don't want to say it's an emotional game, but that is a tough environment going in there. And I've been to Knoxville for games, God, every year since 09, I want to say. And I am always uneasy going there because I know what kind of environment it can be. I've seen it when it's at its best. And I've also seen Knoxville when it's they don't they're not really feeling great about things but they were fired up man number one team in the country back-to-back -back national champion and I told you guys last week on the show that I felt good about the game we should cover but you just never know like if they start going against you and you kind of have that avalanche I mean that could get out of hand and it didn't and to walk away with that win as comfortable as that win was was just a great feeling I can't really explain exactly why but just sitting there looking at those numbers last night 44 and one think about where we are right now as a program guys I mean you were there with us. You were where the, you were there with me all those years, man. All those heartbreaks, all those close calls, all those almost seasons. I remember collapsing on the ground in the Georgia Dome in 2012 on that final play against Alabama in the SEC Championship game. I was there in 2012 in Columbia, South Carolina in that night game where they just completely rocked us. I was there in 2016 in Oxford, Mississippi when Ole Miss put it on us in Kirby's first year. I was there for the 2008 Bama blackout game. I was there for the 2015 Bama game. I was in Colorado when we inexplicably lost that game. I was at the OEC Tech game at home where we had an 18-point halftime lead and it was pouring down rain. I'm sitting there just soaking in the rain and sitting there supporting the team and then somehow we blow it in the second half. I was numb for about two years after losing that national championship game to Alabama in overtime back in, in, I guess, 2018 was when the game was played. So I've lived it, guys. You've lived it. We've all been through it. It was so long. There's so much... I don't want to say suffering, maybe suffering. I don't know. A lot of hard times, a lot of hard times, a lot of almost, a lot of good wins, a lot of a lot of heartbreaks along the way. And to kind of sit here and be where we are right now, and I know the heartbreaks will come back at some point, but just sitting here 44 and 1, 44 and 1 over the last 45 games. I know we've said on the show many times that we are in the glory years right now. We are living in the midst of the UGA glory years, but to just sit back and take that in, it's just overwhelming. It's just unbelievable 
believable. It truly is. It's hard to imagine. Just look at those numbers, 44-1. and one. So we're in a great place right now, but we are not done this season. We got a lot more to go. It's one thing for us as fans to sit back and reflect on that. Our team cannot do that because we got a lot ahead of us. But let's go ahead and get into this game a little bit more specifically. This was another game, one of many this season, where I would classify it as a culture win. I believe that's what this was, guys. Now, we ran away from Tennessee. Obviously, we ended up winning by four touchdowns, but it didn't have to go that way. There is another scenario where it could have gone in a totally different direction. Opening play from scrimmage, 75-yard touchdown run. That place was going bananas. And one of my keys to the game last week when I was previewing this game was we need to get out to a fast start. We have to end this streak of allowing our opponents to score on the opening drive. We couldn't let it go to five straight games because if we do, then that crowd is already going to be jacked up. That, that place is going to fall apart. It's going to come apart at the seams. And I've seen it before. We're kind of just compounds against you. I go back to, I just mentioned a few minutes ago, 2012 South Carolina. It just compounded against us. One play went against us, and the next play, and it just compounded and compounded and compounded. And before you know it, boom, you're down like 30 nothing, And you're better than that team, but momentum is a real thing. So when that happened, guys, it could have gone the other way. There are many Georgia teams in the past 10, 15 years, 20 years or so, where it would have gone the other way. Not this Georgia team. Not this Georgia program under Kirby Smart. Now that he has built this program out and has our culture firmly established. And I'm going to echo what Kirby says. Guys. And, I, and I know this is probably nothing new coming from me. I say this a lot. I mean, it's like the th third or fourth game I've talked about this year where I think it was a culture win. I think Auburn was a culture win. I think South Carolina was a culture win. Both of those games early in the year could have gone other directions. I've seen other games that Georgia teams have played in years past go the other direction. When you're down 14-3 at home against South Carolina, a team that you're better than. When you're on the road against Auburn, a team that's playing with house money against the number one team in the country, the back-to-back -back national champion, and they got the lead late and you turn the ball over in the third quarter. I have seen games get away from us and from other teams, but us specifically, many times in years past in those same very similar scenarios. Not this team, not this program, not with this head coach, not with this culture. We didn't blink, guys. We did not blink. You shrug your shoulders and say, man, all right, that sucks, but you know what's next, coach? What do we do next? The resiliency, the composure, the belief. I will say it right now. There is not one program in America that can rival our culture. No one. We have great players. Don't get me wrong. We know how we recruit. That is obviously a key to our success. You can't win at a high level without big-time players. And we've got them. Trust me, guys. We got them. You know, you know the names. Brock Bowers, Malachi Starks, Amarius Mims, Carson Beck. We've, we got the guys, right? Lad McConkey. We got the guys. But there are a lot of teams out there, guys, that have big-time players, but they don't win like we do. They don't stay the course when adversity strikes the way that we have so consistently, not just this year, but in the past couple of years. Our culture is our difference. I totally believe that. I buy into that when Kirby says that because I've seen it, guys. I've seen it time and time and time again. I watch a lot of college football, a lot of college football. I was up until basically 1 a.m. last night watching all the other games that were being played all day long. I was trying to go back, DVR my computer out, trying to go back and watch all those games. I watch a ton of college football, and I see teams fold in those situations, even incredibly talented teams. I see them fold. 
Not every team can take a punch like we have and then come back and deliver the knockout blow almost immediately. That is what makes us different. And that is why I have confidence now going to every single game that we are going to win and that we are the better team. Are we the better team from a talent standpoint every game? Yeah, pretty much. Now we play Alabama in a couple of weeks. Talent standpoint, are we unequivocally better? No, not unequivocally if you look 1 through 85. But I would put our culture up against Bama and say, we got the better culture. I'm not saying Bama's got a bad culture. Saban's been doing this a long time. We know he's taught Kirby a lot of things, obviously, understandably. But I like our culture better. I like where we are. And we've been through this, the fire, guys. This Georgia team has been through the fire more than the players on that Bama team have. And that matters. That matters. So I just want to start with that. I think this was another culture when it could have gone a totally, totally different direction. Like it has many times in the history of the Georgia Bulldogs, but not now. Not with this team, not with these players, not with this coach, not with this program, not with this culture. And I'm going to stop real quick here, guys, before we get into actually what went down on the field offensively, defensively. Trust me, you know how we do. We're going to get into that here in just a second. But this is a good time for our first break. And I just want to remind you guys once again about our great friends at MyBookie in particular. We've got some great promo deals coming up this week for MyBookie. This is the best time of the year, guys, to be signed up for MyBookie. If you are not signed up for an account at MyBookie right now, do it. Just trust me. Do it right now because their Thanksgiving week promo, they have a different promo every single day during Thanksgiving week. So starting Monday, going through Sunday, they're going to have a different deal for you. And guys, like these aren't just like little piddly nothing deals. These are awesome deals. We're talking about free bets. We're talking about big time odds boost. We're talking about cash prizes. We're talking about amplified jackpots. There's a ton of really great promo codes that are going on for you guys this week. So if you're already signed up, just take advantage of it. But if not, guys, go ahead and do it right now before it's too late. Go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account, use our promo code UGA, and on top of all the great deals you're going to get, you're also going to get that 50% sign-up bonus. And if you want to avoid the, the playthroughs, use the code 200 cash to get a 10% cash bonus, no strings attached, added straight to your account, guys. So it's a no-brainer. Jump in on the action. If you've been on the fence, don't be on the fence anymore. Now is the time. Get started now so you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie. All right, guys, let's jump right back into this. So I actually want to start with the Georgia defense, and then we'll get to the offense here momentarily. I want to start with the defense because the one big high-profile play early in that game, obviously, would be, as I mentioned earlier, the 75-yard touchdown run that Tennessee reeled off on the very opening play of the entire game, the first play from scrimmage. And I've already had a couple people reach out, actually more than a couple people reach out and ask me, hey, man, what went on there? What's going on? Well, let's diagnose it. So again, I haven't been able to go back and rewatch it entirely, but I have watched that play many, many times over. Basically got through the first quarter and I watched that play about 10 different times to try to diagnose exactly what went wrong there. And what I believe happened is that Zion Logue just got washed down. That was his gap. He was responsible for that A gap and he got washed down there. And like that happens from time to time. Again, like it's one of the things we've talked about all year is we don't have those dominant defensive linemen. That's been one of my concerns. It's still one of my lingering concerns against better teams that we're going to face, teams that are better than Tennessee. We just don't have that Jalen Carter or that Devontae Wyatt or that Jordan Davis. We don't have that guy. And Zion's been a really good, solid player for us, but there are times where he gets washed down, where he gets moved. And that happened on that play. Normally that's fine, 
because we do a really good job from a safety position of when plays spill out of limiting those to, you know, eight, nine yard gain. We don't let it get to 20, 30, 50 yard gains. Like we don't give up explosive plays on the ground. Like we might give up some explosive plays through the air. Rarely does a Georgia defense give up an explosive play on the ground, at least a 75 yard touchdown run. And that's really what went wrong there. Yeah, the the core of it there, the beginning of the play was Zion got washed down a little bit. He got pushed out of his gap. He was responsible, in my opinion, for that A gap. And Javon Buller is basically single high safety there in that snare because what they did is, again, it's a Tennessee scheme. I talked about it last week on the preview episode. Their scheme is tough to defend. So the way that we had defended that opening snap, we moved Malachi Starks over to defend the slot man in, in man coverage. They started with trips. They motioned one guy in, and Tyke Smith follows him. So Tyke was kind of like in the middle of the defense at that point. Malachi's over spread out. Remember, they have these big wide splits. And I talked about how those wide splits actually help the running game because it's hard to allow the secondary, the safeties, and the corners to actually fit against the run and be involved because they're so far removed from where the ball is actually being snapped. And that was exactly what happened on that play. Malachi was completely removed from the play. He's out there defending in man coverage. So we had a single high safety, Javon Bullard. And he took a slightly bad angle there. And look, Jalen Wright's a good running back. He's an explosive back, and he's just faster than Javon. That's what happened there. So he's got a full head of steam. Javon took a slight false step, a little hesitant there. And when you do that, I mean, Jalen Wright's gone, and you're not going to catch him. So that's what happened there, in my opinion. And I'm not going to lie, sitting there watching that game, I, um, I wasn't losing my mind. Again, I go back to what I said just a few minutes ago. I understand the culture we have in this program, and we've seen teams jump out to those early leads and score on the first drive what, five games in a row now, so I knew that we were we were okay, but I, I was certainly a little nervous sitting there watching that game. Started doing my rocking back and forth, and kind of needed, I had to get up and move and just pace around a little bit, because, you know, I get nervous in these things, because it happens, it happens, but I got to give this defense credit, because after that play, they gave up literally nothing. Yeah, three points there at the end of the first half, which I was frustrated by because we, we were up three scores. We, we score right there before they get the ball back to go up three scores. And I want to go into the half up three scores. And I did not want to give up any points there. And I felt that we played a little bit too soft defensively. I understand what we were trying to do. Like you don't want to give them the explosive play and give them like an explosive touchdown, carry that momentum into the half. I understand that. But I'm always an advocate of like in those situations, play the way that you played to get you to that point, to get you to that lead. Why would you play a totally foreign defense that is just different than what you normally play? And yeah, sure, I know they're going to be throwing the ball more. They're going to be taking more shots down the field. I understand that. But when you sit back and play that soft, you are essentially allowing them to just march down the field and get points because they were going to get a field goal. The way we were playing, we were going to give up at least a field goal because we were not even trying to contend, you know, the 10-yard pass. Like they could just 10-yard pass their way down the field. That's essentially what they did. But outside of that series, guys, nothing. After that, if my calculations are correct, they had 139 total yards on 10 possessions and after that one explosive run which we can't be given up cannot do that i'm not trying to excuse that away but after that we held them to 55 yards rushing on 24 carries that's 2.29 yards per carry let's go back to what i was telling you guys on that preview episode the deep dive i went into with tennessee and how you stop their offense what was number one on my list right stop the run that's what you have to do it's that simple when you stop the run consistently as tennessee they cannot beat you well let me be a little more specific when you stop the run with even numbers which is what we were able to do and that was the one part coming this game that i had some skepticism i felt like we would probably be able to do it but without those dominant interior guys that we've had in years past against tennessee i needed to see it because we aren't as dominant up front we know that but we saw it guys you had the first play zion got moved a little bit but after that they could not move the ball on the ground through the air obviously can't move the ball through the air because joe milton's just not good and as i 
I told you guys, they don't have the receivers. They don't have the personnel this year. And if they weren't able to run the football and create those one-on-one opportunities, they had no chance, absolutely zero chance to move the ball, score on us and beat us. Just wasn't going to happen. Even if they were able to do that, I wasn't sure that they would be able to win enough of those one-on-one matchups against our DBs, who I think we're playing much better than even some backfield than we have in the past couple of years, and they don't have those receivers. So this game really played out the way that I thought that it would because this Tennessee team was exactly what I thought they were. They are exactly who I told you they were last week. This is a team that simply doesn't have the personnel to run Josh Heupel's scheme. They don't have the receivers. They're going to beat you in man coverage. They don't have Jalen Hyatt, who's just going to absolutely torch people when you get a mashup in the slot. They have Squirrel White. And Squirrel White's like, fine, he's an okay complimentary piece, but he's not Jalen Hyatt. He's not a Bolitnikoff Award guy. Joe Milton is terrible. I'm just going to say it. Joe Milton is not a good college quarterback. As I spent the entire offseason saying, there is a reason this guy lost his starting job twice. He won starting jobs twice, one at Michigan, one at Tennessee, and lost them both because he's not good. And all these ridiculous Tennessee fans trying to convince themselves all offseason that he was going to be their savior and that they were somehow going to be better this year with Joe Milton than they were with Hendon Hooker, who was going to be in the Heisman Trophy ceremony if he hadn't gotten hurt last year. They're going to be better with him and that little group of castaway receivers. They're going to be better this year with that group of personnel than what they were last year with Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman and Brew McCoy. No, no. Anyone with half a freaking brain cell could have told you no, but we're talking about Tennessee fans. So, you know, I mean, what was Joe Milton in this game? What, 17-30 for 147? And there were a couple plays. Again, this scheme is very well schemed. It's very simple. It's a very simplistic scheme. And I hope that the way I laid out for you guys last week was it helped you kind of figure out what you were watching, what you were seeing, what they were trying to do to us on Saturday. It's a well-schemed offense. And they actually had some some plays where they schemed guys open. They had receivers that got behind our DBs. And Hinton Hooker, in large part, hit those guys last year. Joe Milton, it's time to come close, guys. It's time to come close. This is not good. He's just simply not a good football player. And then when you have a running game that ran for 55 yards on 24 carries after that opening 75-yard touchdown run, you have a recipe for an offense that simply cannot move the football. And that is exactly what happened on Saturday inside Neyland Stadium. They had 277 total yards, 13 first downs, 2 for 11 on third down. Because of what happened? After that first run, they simply could not run the football. So what were they in consistently? Third and long. When they got to third and long, is Joe Milton equipped to beat you and consistently convert those third and long situations enough to the point where they can actually beat a team the caliber of Georgia with the offense that we have? The answer is unequivocally no. And look, as I understand, as I laid out last week, this is not the Tennessee offense from last year. This is not the Tennessee football team from last year. They do not pose the same type of threat, the same type of challenge. But this was still the number two rushing offense in the entire SEC. They've led the entire league for most of the season before last week when Missouri held them to 83 yards rushing. They had led the league almost the entire year in rushing, 213 yards rushing per game. We still held them to essentially 85 yards below their rushing average, and that was with a 75-yard touchdown run on the opening play from scrimmage. Outside of that, we completely dominated this Tennessee offense, and I felt like that's something that we would be able to do if we played our A game. And I don't know if we got 100% our A game from this Georgia defense, but we got close enough to it. And with the issues the Tennessee offense has personnel-wise, missing both their, their starting tackles, which we didn't know coming into the game, but they didn't warm up in the pregame. And it's like, okay, well, they're not playing. When that's the case, they just simply had no chance unless we just decide to go into a shell and give them the game. And that's just not something this Georgia team does. This Georgia defense does. It's just not in our DNA. So there are my quick 
instant reaction thoughts on the offense again we'll get into more detail on our mailback episode when you have a chance i should go back and rewatch the game a time or two and get curse back on here we'll, we'll dive into all that stuff but just some instant reaction thoughts that's my instant reaction for the georgia offense before we flip over to the georgia defense let's talk about our great friends at alumni hall guys the holiday season it's here black friday is what like less than a week away from now the early black friday sales are already all over the internet right now and i'm telling you guys just watch alumni hall they're going to have those black friday deals make sure you go to their website put your email in there sign up for a new account if you don't already have an account if you have an account just be watching that email address they're going to send you those flash deals trust me they are coming for black friday and there is no better place for you guys to get early holiday gifts for the Georgia fans in your life. And I know if you listen to this podcast, you are diehard. That's who listens to this podcast. That's what this podcast is made for. It's made for you guys, the diehard Georgia fans, by diehard Georgia fans. And we know you have a bunch of diehard Georgia fans in your life. So go ahead and win the holiday season right now. Get that shopping out of the way by going to Alumni Hall and picking up the newest, best George gear that you're going to find anywhere because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, let's flip this over to the Georgia offense. And honestly, what is there to say right now about this Georgia offense? I believe this Georgia offense is as good of an offense as there is in the United States of America right now. I truly believe that. I don't care who you're talking about. Washington, Oregon, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State. I do not care who you're talking about. I think when it comes down to it, in the big games, there is no team that I would trust right now on the offensive side of the ball more than I would trust the Georgia Bulldogs. I truly believe that. We might not be leading the nation in total yards or scoring offense, but I believe if we had to, if we had the defense where we had to go score 50 points a game and put up 550 yards a game on offense, I believe we could do it. I truly believe that. We just still happen to have a top 10, top 15 caliber defense, although not as dominant as it has been in the past couple years. Still, again, a top 10, top 15, top 20 caliber defense, depending on what statistical measure you're looking at. So when you have a defense that is still that good, you don't have to go out and score 50 points a game and put up 550 a game against the best teams you play. You can still get away with doing what we did against Tennessee, where we put up 472 yards and 27 first downs in more or less three quarters. I mean, the fourth quarter, yeah, we we left the starters in there for a little bit longer than I anticipated we would. I was actually a little bit surprised by that, but we were still more or less just running that clock out, trying to end this game. We were not doing what we did to get to that point. We're not really trying to run the score up. If that was a four-quarter game like Michigan was in against Maryland yesterday, if it was a four-quarter game like Washington was in against Oregon State on Saturday night, yeah, we could have put up 550 if we wanted to. We could have scored 50-plus points if we wanted to. We didn't need to because our defense held that Tennessee offense to 10 points. And there's a couple of things I want to say about this George offense coming out of Saturday's win over Tennessee. First off, Mike Bobo. Let's just start there. Mike Bobo, I said it last week. I will say it again because, once again, he showed himself to be that dude. Mike Bobo is elite. He is an elite offense coordinator. I do not care what you thought about him prior to this season. I don't care if you believe in him coming this season or not. If you're watching George games and you don't say this man's elite, if you don't put aside past prejudices and say, you know what? Yeah, you know what? I, I know what I'm seeing here. This guy is elite. I, I don't know what to say to you. I, there's no convincing you otherwise. It's not even just about the points, about the yardage totals, about the third down conversions. It's not even just about that, which by the way, those are all elite, right? It's about how this man goes about setting up plays and working around 
what he has to work with. He has not had a full deck all season. And again, in this game, we went into this game hoping maybe possibly Ladd could play. Ladd wasn't ready to go. It was the English brain from last week. He was He's not going to be out long-term with that, but he wasn't ready to go in this game. He really didn't practice last week. Obviously, having Brock back was a huge help. And you saw we were trying to feed the beast early. No Ladd McConkie. What were we doing early in that game? We were doing what we had done all season prior to getting Ladd back to where he was healthy those last couple games. We were feeding Brock Bowers. And that touchdown pass that he set up from Dylan Bell. I know most Georgia fans, most casual fans are going to say, wow, Dylan Bell, great play. Yes, great play, Dylan Bell. Obviously awesome. But it's not even just the play call that Mike Bobo called in that moment. Oh, it's a cool trick play. It's what he did to set that play up. How many times in the first couple series leading up to that play did Mike Bobo call a toss into the boundary? At least three in the first couple of drives before he called that play. So what did he do? He ran a constraint off that. He watched what Tennessee was doing when we ran those tosses into the boundary to Dejan Edwards. Oh, they were triggering hard because that's what Tennessee does defensively. They, they sell out against the run. We talked about that in the preview episode. That's what this Tennessee defense does. They are very good against the run. And they have some good personnel in their front six, but more than anything, it's schematically what they do. They sell out to stop the run. They put their guys in the secondary on islands far too much for what those guys are actually capable of. And Bobo knew that, and he saw that with his own two eyes the first couple drives of the game. And so what do you do? You run a constraint off of that. And it's going to be wide open. And guess what? It was wide open for an easy touchdown to take that lead, which we never gave back. We never looked back from that point. But I just want to point out, those plays don't happen by accident. You just you don't just call, hey, you know what? We're going to run the halfback toss pass right now. You set that up, and Mike Bobo set that up perfectly to AT. That's a masterclass in how you set up a big play opportunity. And again, just another example, one of many examples this season of why Mike Bobo is elite. And then Carson Beck. I mean, guys, at this point, I know we had a question last week asking, okay, you know, do you think Carson might come back next year? What do you think the future holds? And my response was looking at the quarterback draft class this year, it might be in his best interest to come back next year, right? Because you still have Caleb Williams, you have Drake May, you have Bo Nix, you have Michael Penix. Those guys have been, for more of the season, more name, there's more name recognition, more name value there. So you think, oh, they might get drafted ahead of Carson Beck? I don't know if that's the case, guys. The more I watch Carson play... And the more I see this guy do from a pre-snap standpoint, a post-snap standpoint, his accuracy, his composure, his intelligence out there in the field, his ability to go through reads, to recognize what demons are trying to do to him and find the right player almost every single time and to have answers to everything the demons is doing to him and also the underrated athleticism. The more I watch this guy play, the more I ask myself, is he really going to be like the fifth or sixth guy in the quarterback class this year? Is Drake May really better than him? Is Drake May really going to be unequivocally taken ahead of Carson Beck in the NFL draft class this year? Would he be if Carson went this year and declared early? I don't know, man. I don't know. I will say this about Carson. I'm not saying he's the most talented guy in this draft class, but what I will say right now, and this is always subject to change, but right now, let me just ask you guys a question. Who in the United States of America right now is playing better at the quarterback position than Carson Beck? Who is that guy? 
who? Maybe Bo Nix, but also if you watch Bo Nix play, it's a very different offense. There's a ton of screens, a ton of short passes in that scheme where they just are getting those guys out in space and they're making big plays, making guys miss. And look, I'm not trying to take anything away from Bo Nix. He's a really, really good football player. He's he's grown miles from what he was at Auburn a couple years back. But is Bo Nix doing the same things that Carson Beck does in a pro-style offense that translates more to the next level? I don't know that he is. Drake May? No. Carson Beck is better than Drake May. I don't care what the name recognition was coming into this season. Carson Beck is playing far better than Drake May is really all season long. Carson Beck's playing better than Caleb Williams right now. And I'm not saying like talent-wise he's better than Caleb. I'm just talking about what he's doing right now in the college game. He's playing better than Caleb Williams. He's better. He's playing better than Michael Penix right now. Who is that quarterback? Who is playing unequivocally better than Carson Beck at that position right now? And look, I don't love saying that. I'm at the point now where I, I want Carson to do well because it helps us win. I love the guy and I really want him to have success. But I'm also like, uh, it's okay, buddy. Like, you know, dial it back a little bit so you come back next year. I don't want you to be the second pick in the draft because I'd love for you to come back next year for our sake. But I don't, at this point, is that is that going to happen? The more I watch the guy play and the more this, you see him in these big time moments, you're like, man, he just answers every single question. And that's a big part of why heading into the postseason with Georgia Tech, I, look, I know we had Georgia Tech coming up, and that's not a gimme game. That's a much better Georgia Tech team than they have been in years past. We must respect them. We cannot overlook them. We have to say all those things. All that's true. But if we can beat Tech and get in the postseason, a big part of why I'm so confident in this team is Carson Beck. I'll just say it right now, guys. I love Stetson Bennett. You guys know how I was waxing poetic about that guy for the better part of the last year and a half. All of last year, but the, the preseason coming into last year, you know how I feel about that guy. I've made that very clear. I I believe right now Carson Beck is playing better than Stetson Bennett did a year ago. I believe that. In what area was Stetson Bennett better than Carson? I'm not saying there's a massive gap there because Stetson, again, was incredible force, very deserving of being in the highest trophy ceremony. But where is he better than Carson? Maybe you know, in the run game, slightly a little bit. The scramble game, he's a little bit more athletic than Carson. I'll give him that. But Carson is doing things that I'm not sure Stetson did as consistently as Carson did in terms of pre-snap and post-snap reads and the accuracy. Guys, it's basically 73% completion percentage right now. That's insanity. So look, I know Alabama in a couple weeks in Atlanta. That is a really tough game. Alabama is absolutely capable of beating us if we do not play our game 100 it's a really good football team they're getting better and better honestly both teams are kind of peaking at the right time but we have the better quarterback just like we have the better quarterback in this matchup against tennessee just like we have the better quarterback in the matchup against Ole miss just like we have the better quarterback in the matchup against missouri just like we have the better quarterback in the matchup against florida why have we won these games and won most of them pretty convincingly there's a lot of reasons but carson beck is one of the biggest reasons i mean guys we were nine of 13 on third downs in this game the majority of those were third and medium and third and long we were throwing to pick up third downs at least the majority of those you watched the game you saw it and Carson Beck doesn't even blink an eye third down first down second down doesn't matter the dude just knows where to go to the football he sees what the defense is doing he knows the answer and he delivers the ball on time and on point and the guy is so underrated in the pocket in terms of how he moves and slides within the pocket to create throwing lanes and to give the guys his receivers time to let those routes develop and open up he's he's so underrated in that regard guys Carson Beck I I will say it again I believe this he's playing like the best quarterback in America right now and I'll go back and say the same thing I said about the offense. If Carson Beck was playing for a team that did not have the defense that we had, where we had to score 50 points a game to win games, 
I think Carson Beck could throw for 400 plus a game. I think Carson Beck could throw for five touchdowns a game. If we asked him to, we don't need him to, and we don't ask him to. But if he needed to, and we asked him to, he could deliver. I have every bit of confidence that Carson could do that for us if it came to that. And maybe it will. I don't know if it will. Hopefully it doesn't. But if it gets to that point, I believe Carson can do it. So enough about Carson. Let's talk about the run game here a little bit. I know there are a couple of people that, that hit me up on DM, on social media, and were saying, hey, man, like, look, a running game wasn't what it was against Ole Miss. Are you concerned about that? No. The answer is no. Look, we ran for 156, 3.9 yards per carry, which are not elite numbers, but go back and watch the game, guys. They were playing us with a seven, eight-man box the majority of the game. This is what Tennessee does, as I laid out. They want to press the issue against the run. They want to force you to beat them with a pass, and that's exactly what we were able to do. And we were committed enough to the run to keep them honest and to keep their pass rushers off of Carson. I think they had, what, one sack in the game? James Pierce had eight sacks coming to the game, was the second leading sack man in the SEC. Dude had zero sacks, was not a factor at all, because what did I say we need to do against him? Run the ball at him, stay out of third long, and that guy is not going to be a factor. That's essentially what we did with him, but they were trying to sell against the run, and we ran the ball enough to keep them honest, and when we needed to, we threw the football, and we had a lot of success doing so. And when we threw the ball, Carson threw for 10.2 yards per attempt, essentially a first shot every time that guy dropped back to throw a pass. Compare that to Joe Milton, who threw the ball for 4.9 yards per attempt. Tennessee was not as close to as explosive as we were, which we told you coming in the week that was going to be the case because look at the entire season, we have been a far more explosive offense than, than the Tennessee offense has, and they weren't as efficient as we were because that's been the case the entire season. We had 9 of 13 third down conversions. They had 2 of 11. They weren't as efficient, and they weren't as explosive, and that's why we beat them 38 to 10. It's really that simple. But all right, guys, I got to get out of here in just a minute because I actually had to hop in the car and hit the road. But before I get out of here, I want to throw a couple of quick game balls at you. Obviously, we got to start with Dylan Bell. This guy had the game of his life. Five catches, 90 yards, 18-point yards per reception, a touchdown, a touchdown pass on the halfback toss pass. I was hoping, I was really hoping we would let the guy just run one in late in the game to get that trifecta, the touchdown pass, the touchdown reception, the touchdown run. It was not to be, but regardless, awesome game from Dylan Bell. And guys, Dylan Bell is capable of this on a pretty much game-by-game basis if we need him to be. He's a really undervalued part of what we do offensively. I know he's had to fill in at the running back position a lot this year out of necessity, but he has the capability of being a big-time receiver for us. He's got that running back body, which is why he plays running back at times, but he's also got those receiving skills, those ball skills, and he gets the ball in space, and the guy can make you miss. You saw that. You saw him make the 50-50 catch. You saw him make plays in space, which shouldn't be surprising if you watch him carry the football this year when he's got opportunities to run the ball in space. The guy's the big-time athlete. He just doesn't get as many opportunities in the past game because you got Brock Bowers, you got Ladd McConkey, who's healthy, and Dominic Lovett. But he got his opportunities against Tennessee with Ladd out, and he delivered, man. And he's capable of that. If we need him, Dylan Bell can be that guy on a consistent base for us. So big-time performance from him. Absolutely the game of his career to this point. In my second game ball, I've already waxed eloquent about him, but let's just throw him another game ball. Carson Beck, he's got a permanent spot here on our game ball list. 24 of 30, 298, essentially 300 yards passing, 9.9 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, a 93.1 QBR. Again, I'll say it one more time. He is playing as well as anybody in America at the quarterback position. I don't need to say any more. I talked about him. Carson Beck, absolutely big-time performance on the road. Tough environment, delivered like he's done every single game this year. And then my final game ball of this game goes to Ty Key Smith. 
just a great performance from a guy that's playing a position that has to defend what I believe is the premier spot in the Tennessee offense, that slot receiver position. Now, he wasn't consistently always matching that guy because Tennessee does a couple different things from matchup standpoints, so motion guys and try to create matchups that favor them. But more often than not, he was matched up in the slot on Squirrel White, who is their top guy at receiver this year. Now, that's a far cry from what they had last year, certainly, but that is still the premier position in this offense. And we've said all season long, Ty Key, his strength is defending against the run. He did that very well against Tennessee. He did a great job fitting against the run and, and also fighting off blocks on the perimeter. There were a couple of big-time plays he made on the perimeter, fighting off blocks, attacking blocks, and making plays on the screen game on the perimeter, which is a bit, also a big part of what Tennessee wants to do. And he did a great job taking that away from them. So the physicality that he played with in the run game combined with how he was able to defend against those vertical shots that Tennessee tried to take out of the slot position, I thought Tyke Smith had another fantastic game for this Georgia defense. Led the team in tackles, 10 total tackles, and just continues to put together a fantastic senior season here in Athens. He has absolutely exceeded any expectation I had for this guy coming this season. I was wrong on him. I thought that Janelle Aguero had a chance to overtake him at some point this season. No, not happening. Tyke Smith has been that guy from essentially the jump, and he's gotten better with each and every game, and he's playing at an extraordinarily high level for this Georgia defense. But all right, guys, that's all I've got for today. I hate to run right now. I hate to leave you hanging here. I got to run. I got to get out of here and do some family stuff, but I at least want to get on here and give you some quick instant reaction thoughts about this game. But again, Curse and I will be back with our mailback episode. So make sure you get those questions into us. We'll go into a lot more detail with what we saw from this Georgia team against Tennessee, obviously looking ahead to the Tech game and even further down the line into hopefully a long postseason run for this Georgia football team. So make sure you send those questions in. I know this is not our normal reaction episode, so I appreciate you sticking with me, but we'll definitely have you guys cover the rest of the week while everyone else is taking the week off, doing Thanksgiving stuff. We're still going to have our four episodes a week. we got you guys covered all week long, so no worries. While you're doing your family stuff, you still have your Georgia football fix. We're going to make sure you guys are taken care of, so keep coming back for more all week long, heading into rivalry. We clean old-fashioned hate. And by the way, guys, in case you didn't know, tech sucks. I hate tech. And we'll talk a lot more about that the rest of this week. But thank you for being here, guys. Appreciate you. I'm Tyler. And, of course, as always, go dogs.